Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Can you believe we're up to episode 86? It's great to have your company as always. Thank you all for your support and encouragement. Thank you for downloading and sharing. And thank you for caring. And thank you for sharing this journey with me. It's been an incredible week. I've been doing a lot of media for somewhere along the way, the Camino song, and I'm actually starting to get videos from the Camino of pilgrims singing it. It's kind of surreal to hear someone else singing your song, yet somehow it's exactly as I'd imagined it. Again, I'm most grateful. If you're just new to the podcast, it's a weekly broadcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of ancient pilgrimages across Europe, culminating at Santiago de Compostela in Spain, where we're told the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred. I've walked two Caminos, and I can't wait to get back to begin another and another. And I visited the crypt beneath the cathedral in Santiago, where St. James's remains are in a silver casket. It was my 50th birthday. It was magic. And I thought a lot about my dad. It's Father's Day here in Australia, and I've just finished a three-hour performance at a brand-new mega-entertainment precinct in Sydney's Inner West. 350 people for a big Father's Day lunch. Table after table of families celebrating their fathers and grandfathers. And I had the privilege of singing for them all, all afternoon. I made a conscious decision to sing songs for dads. Elvis songs, Willie Nelson songs, John Denver, Glenn Campbell, Neil Diamond, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, even Stevie Nicks. Dad songs. The Australian writer and poet Pam Brown said... Dads are most ordinary men, turned by love into heroes, adventurers, storytellers, and singers of songs. I lost my dad a few years ago, not long before I walked my first Camino. I know he would have been so proud of me, and he too would have loved to have walked the Camino, and he would have made a great pilgrim. Dad was a devoted husband and family man, a staunch Catholic, father to 11 children, grandfather to 24, and great-grandfather to, I think, six children before he died. He was a great storyteller and singer of songs. When I was about six, he brought home a new hi-fi system. Hitachi, he used to say, the Japanese know how to make this stuff. The speakers were made from timber. They weighed a tonne. It was a separate turntable, cassette deck and tuner. And as part of the deal, Dad got to choose three LPs from the record stand at the shop. And he chose the best of Simon and Garfunkel, Neil Diamond's Hot August Night, and the best of the Beach Boys. Now, almost 50 years later, I still know every word of every song on all three records. And if I hear El Condor Pasa, I'm not taken back to the Andes. I'm taken back to the front room of Corsa Street in Toowoomba, the Darling Downs. I'd rather be a spiral than a snail Yes, I would If I could I surely would Rather be a hammer than a nail. Yes, I would if 
guitarist or a musician and you're wondering what I'm playing there, I have my 30-year-old acoustic dreadnought guitar strung in what's called Nashville tuning. Google it. It's great fun. String up an old guitar, Nashville tuning. You can thank me later. Growing up in my home, there were seven boys in the house. My older brothers used to play their records. So when I finished listening to the Beach Boys singing Sloop John B on Dad's stereo and made my way to bed... My brothers would be playing Cat Stevens' Tea for the Tillerman or Austral Weeks by Van Morrison. Am I painting a picture here? This was my life, and I loved it, and Dad loved it. Music is life, and his was the loudest male voice singing in church. I used to be a bit embarrassed, but now I'm proud. He encouraged us to play an instrument. I went off the rails for a while as teenage boys I want to do. We were in a small country town about half an hour from Toowoomba and Dad was the head teacher of the small high school, my high school. I rebelled and my rebellion hurt him deeply. It was one of the regrets I laid beside the Camino when I walked in 2016. Forgive me those listeners who have heard this story before, but I walked each day dedicating my thoughts to a different five-year section of my life. I thought about who I knew, where I was, my job, my school, my friends, my loves, my lovers, my mistakes, my triumphs, failures, everything I could think of. And then I left it all behind. The reason most people walk is to find themselves. Well, I like the fact that I've placed my grief on the Camino. I know it's safe and sound with the hundreds of thousands of pilgrims who walk by it each year. It is at peace. It set me free. 
as a pilgrim, as a man, as a human being. And it's all still there on the Camino. It was there last year when I walked past it. I even picked up the odd piece and carried it with me for a few days. And people walk the Camino for all different manner of reasons, for closure, after a loss in their life, for adventure, because the best way to experience adventure is to be adventurous, for peace, to challenge themselves. And a pilgrim learns to understand you don't need all the baggage we carry in life. We don't need regrets. We don't need anger. We don't need turmoil. As my previous podcast guest Lou Dregley said in week 57, leave the heavy stuff behind. Well, the way I treated my father as a teenager was one of those regrets I left behind on the Camino. He wanted the best for me. I wanted what I thought was the best for me, and I was wrong. There is no regret now, but I carry with me a lesson. When we eventually left the small town and moved to the city, we arrived mid-year, and that first six months was tough. I had to try to adapt to a private school in the city. I'd been at a rural state school, two wildly different environments. And over the summer, that Christmas, I was approached the final two years of school. I complained that I had nothing to do. Dad said, learn the guitar or something. What about that for a sentence marking a moment in my life? That one sentence started it all. My life turned around. I ended up doing reasonably well at school and my marks were good enough to be accepted at the Queensland Police Academy. I spent 18 months studying to be a policeman and was eventually sworn in and served for about a year on the streets of Brisbane. But I soon realised it wasn't for me and I got out. Dad said to me, I don't mind you leaving. Just make sure you get a job and keep yourself busy. I've done so ever since. Dad eventually ended up as an education administrator, the Assistant Director General of Education. He retired early. He was pretty bored, to be honest. So he went to manage what's called the Catholic Mission. The mission manages funds donated from a range of sources and distributes them to those in need. Australia's Indigenous communities are in a shocking state of neglect, so a lot of money, deservedly, goes to them. Because of where we are in the Pacific Ocean, there are hundreds of small island communities who need help too. Dad was very keen to make sure the money went to those in need, keeping administration costs to a minimum, so the funds could make a real difference for families and children in need. I remember Mum and Dad were invited to the Cook Islands, 15 islands, about 10 hours flight directly east of Sydney. They were ordaining their first bishop, and it was to be the greatest celebration the islands had ever seen. The entire archipelago was home to about 18,000 people. My parents checked in at Brisbane International Airport and later were passing through customs when they were pulled aside. Mum's bag had set off alarms at the security screens. The customs officers reached into her bag, pulled out a 12-inch by 12-inch block wrapped in foil, then wrapped in cling wrap. Staff came from everywhere to surround them. Dad was mortified. Mum, cool as anything, said, that's a fruitcake for the new bishop. You can imagine. They're saying, what new bishop? Who are you? Where are you travelling to? It was all sorted out pretty quickly and they were allowed to go on their way. The cops hadn't seized a major drug haul, six kilos of hashish or something. It was a Pat Mullins fruitcake. And if you're wondering, the bishop got his stash. It wasn't actually until some years later we learned that Dad had worked the missions for what's called a peppercorn, next to nothing. He was already receiving a stipend from his superannuation from his government job, so he basically donated his time. He was certainly more a forest than a street. 
He really came into his own as a grandfather, and I can see him bouncing babies on his knees, singing songs and telling stories. Indeed, the picture on this week's podcast is my father with my granddaughter, Audrey, on his knee. That was just a few months before he died. He started getting aches and pains in his back a few years ago and reckoned it was just old age. And then we, we think he had a minor stroke. It affected his speech and being a very gifted speaker and communicator, it meant he withdrew a bit and he didn't get, we didn't get much out of him. And I remember my boys were younger and we stood on the beach with the tide lapping up to our knees in and out and in and out again. And we made sure the boys were safe and he didn't really say much, but I knew he was kind of happy, quiet, but happy. Then he took a turn for the worse, the back, bloody nuisance of a thing, and they did the scans and found the cancer in his lungs and in his spine. I was lucky enough to have older brothers closer geographically than I was, and Jim said, hey, you better come up. I didn't ask too much, I just got up there. Then a few weeks later, another brother, Jerry, hey, you better come up. I went up again, and I never saw him again. Mum had stayed all day with him and went home for the day and Dad was with the nurse and she said she'd just duck out for a minute or two, then come back to check on him and when she walked back in, he was gone. What happens to that spirit, that giver of life, that storyteller, that singer, that forest, more sparrow than snail, much more hammer than nail, my dad? I suppose when you think about your place in the big scheme of things, you sometimes visualise all those people above you in your family tree. But we really only know about a handful of generations. I know some people go back to William the Conqueror or Vlad the Impaler or something, but most of us go back only a couple of hundred years at best. Well, who were the fathers before that? Our forefathers. I've said before, I swear I've been here before. The ocean and I have some sort of extraordinary connection. It's the most beautiful thing to me. Yet I have this amazing regard and respect for it. In fact, just this year, I went to an exhibition called Rembrandt and the Dutch Golden Age at the New South Wales Art Gallery. I sort of wandered away from the family, the wife and children, which I rarely do, unless I'm on a Camino. <laughs> and I found myself in a small alcove at the back of the exhibition. I turned to see a massive oil painting, dimly lit, hanging on a wall by itself. It was Ludolf Balkwazen's Warships in a Heavy Storm, painted in about 1695. Now, my blood ran cold. Tears welled up inside me and I felt like the rest of the world was spinning around me. A chill went up my spine and just like that I snapped out of it. But something very, very deep touched me when I saw that picture of warships at sea in the Dutch Golden Age. Something connected, perhaps it was a connection. So who knows what our forefathers did? Who knows what type of men they were? Who knows what they achieved, their hopes and dreams? Were they even entitled to hope and dream? The dreams we dream would be preposterous to someone even two generations up the tree. Indeed, the things my children and grandchildren will experience and achieve will make my life pale into insignificance. Perhaps then, that's what being a father, a parent, is all about. I have three sons, the youngest two are finding their own way, creating a path to be outstanding men. They're teenagers now and I couldn't be more delighted with the young men they've become.
My oldest son is from my first marriage, and I was 23 when he was born, the most beautiful child. Unfortunately, the marriage collapsed and a very nasty few years followed. He's had his challenges since. A man gets tied up to the ground. He gives the world its saddest sound. Its saddest sound. He's fought the good fight, though, and I think he would even admit at times he could have fought harder. But the good news is he's much, much better and is now going at a million miles an hour. He's clever, he's dedicated, he's talented, and he's focused. His journey, in many ways, is now beginning because he is able to put his past behind him. Like a lot of us pilgrims, come to think of it, I'll just say it again. His journey, in many ways, is now beginning because he's been able to put his past behind him. I'm enormously proud of him. He won't mind me saying he was a snail. Now he's a sparrow. I never really knew my father's father. He died when I was a boy. My mother's father was a beautiful man, although he was elderly when I was a boy. He tended roses and they produced the most magnificent flowers. And I remember once sitting in his lounge room watching black and white television. So it must have been the early 70s. The newsreader was talking about something and Granddad just said, oh, for goodness sake, and got out of his chair, walked up to the television, and with his thumb and forefinger, twisted the newsreader's nose. I was aghast. I giggled into my hands and laughed so hard. My grandfather had come alive in one fell swoop. I'd rather feel the earth beneath my feet. Yes, I would. If I only could, I surely would. I realise I sat down to write an interview and instead I've written a reflection. So I hope you'll forgive the indulgence. Perhaps I just felt like talking this week. With an hour to go of today's gig, an older couple walked into the venue and it had been advertised as a Father's Day lunch with Dan Mullins, a buffet lunch, my teenage son's favourite word, buffet. (laughs) And this couple walked in and said, we'd like to see Dan Mullins, please. And the gentleman at the door said, well, it's a closed function. You can't just walk in. And at that very moment, I walked through the area where they were standing. And the woman said, here he is. And she said, we're your fan club. And I said, well, how delightful. I didn't know I had a fan club. She said, oh, we love you. I said to the bloke on the door, I might just sneak them in for the last set. And he said, sure, we'll find them a seat somewhere. 20 minutes later, I'm singing somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way. And this couple, now they're in their late 70s for sure, they're clapping above their heads like teenagers at a Journey concert in 1979. (laughs) I'm still still smiling about it now. And just to over-egg the pudding, when I arrived home, I saw a message on my phone. It was a young Irish pilgrim currently on the Camino, and there she was with a group of friends walking somewhere towards Santiago, and they were all walking along singing the song. Can you imagine? Another video arrived of an American pilgrim walking west of Leon this week, struggling to remember the words. It's almost 100 degrees and she's parched like an autumn leaf, yet she's trying to sing somewhere along the way. hope you don't think I'm bragging. I'm just kind of delighted. I played 60 songs today and a lady said to me afterwards, thank you for singing songs for us. And I said, thank you for liking those songs because they're the only songs I know. They're the songs I learned as a boy listening to vinyl records. Dad's turntable had a kind of layered circumference with graded checks and a focused light, so as the table turned, you could see what speed it was going. And he took great pride in explaining it to me. I'll never forget it. Seven-inch records played at a different speed to LPs. 
We even had some old 78s we used to play. And I explained to my boys a few years ago what it all meant. In fact, I only recently explained to my sons what cassette tapes were. I said I'd sit listening to the radio with play and record pressed down and the pause button on. And then when I heard the first few notes of the song I wanted to record, I'd quickly hit pause and I'd have the song. They were my compilation tapes, my mixtapes. Sometimes I'd curse the DJ for talking over the introduction or the outro. But that was the joy of your own mixtape. It was yours. Now I pay for a music streaming subscription for my children. They have access pretty much to every song recorded over the last 30 years. It's incredible when you think about it. I used to press play, pause, play, pause to write out the lyrics to songs, sit there for hours working out the chords. Now you just Google it. It's all there. And there'll be some bloke who can actually teach you how to play the tricky bit. I can't help thinking it would be such a shame to lose the art of discovery. We learn and we live. So it is on this Father's Day night. Dads are most ordinary men, turned by love into heroes, adventurers, storytellers and singers of songs. One of the songs Dad used to sing to me was Irene Goodnight by Huddy Ledbetter or Leadbelly, one of Dad's favourite songs. For years I finished my gigs with it, but I can't bring myself to sing it anymore. Until now. Sometimes I live in the country Sometimes I live in the town Sometimes I get the great notion To jump in the river and drown Irene, good night Stop your gambling Stop staying out late at night Go home to your wife and family Sit down by the fireside bright Irene, good night Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins, Buen Camino.